0: Good morning, Cross Life. This is Ricky, and we are getting ready to jump right into our sermon. So thank you for joining me this morning as we open the Word. We're going to open the Word, preach the Word, apply the Word, and see how the Word will shape us. We want to be completely submissive to how God has revealed Himself and to what He has revealed of Himself in His Word. Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, um, how good... And great you are. How good you are to us, your people, who you have come to save and to redeem. And Lord, but you have not taken us out of this world. You have left us in this world. And Lord, while we are in this world, we want to glorify you. Lord, one of the chief ways that we glorify you is by submitting ourselves to your word. So Lord, as we open your word, I do not pray for excellent speech. I pray for clarity, though. So that what is preached is what is clear and what is true. And Lord, that these are not my words, but they are your words. But Lord, help us to understand your text in such a way that it can impact our lives and it can drive us to make disciples of all nations. Lord God, we are opening your word and we humbly wait on you to enlighten us and empower us. Lord God, we love you. Amen. Okay, Cross Life. We're going to just jump right into the text today. So join me in John 14, John chapter 14, verses 8 through 14. And so as you're turning there and as you're getting ready, I titled this sermon, Is Jesus Enough for You? Is he enough for you? Now, our initial reaction is going to say, of course he's enough. He's absolutely enough. But I'm asking you, as I'm looking at this text and I'm looking at Philip, I just want us to consider, is Jesus really enough for us? John 14, 8 through 14 says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Y'all, I want to I wanna take that verse, and, and I want us to look at it, those verses. But I want us to begin where we typically end, which is the application of the verses. See, a typical progression of a sermon follows a certain flow there's typically three points and they often use alliteration that means that they they kind of have a typical uh a similar sound or rhythm to them so that you can remember them better now these points should be centered on the central truth of the passage um grounded in the passage's context so the the pastor should not read the the pastor should not read the passage and and develop these magical points where The congregation is sitting there wondering where these came from, but there should be such a connection that as the word is preached, it is clear where it is found in the passage. So they should line up with the text and the main thrust of the passage. And so these points, though, as we preach, remember this, church. A verse can never mean what it was never meant to mean. It can only mean what it was meant to mean. So we have to consider, who was this written to? What did it mean to them? And then what does it mean to us? And how do we apply that text to our lives? But see, there's usually the sermon title, an introduction, some points, and this all culminates until we reach our point or points of application. And the application is really important because if all we do is study scripture, but never look at how it applies to it, if that scripture is only academic in nature, but never applies and is applied to and affects us, then we are missing out. Now, sometimes that application is very simple and direct. Sometimes it's a large and the grand scheme of life and sometimes it's more theological and it, and it challenges us to worship in a new way and challenges our our mindset and sometimes the application is in the nitty-gritty of life for example i am challenged theologically and on a large scale when i read whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him it's from colossians three seventeen. See, my wheels begin to spin, and I look at how I might apply this in the context of my job, my family, my friendships. It's very large. It's very big picture and grand scale. Another application, though, might be I'm challenged specifically with an action when I read, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's in James 1, 19 through 20. See, I begin to look more specifically at my anger, at how I listen, at my speech, and my humility. It really applies to a specific point of life, and that's how application works. It can be grand or it can be specific, and it can be both. But what remains true is that the text must be applied to our lives, and we must live out that application so a sermon typically builds to the application so that after we have studied the verses, after we have read God's word, we, be, we then begin to wrestle with, how do I apply that to my life? Today, we're actually going to flip this, and I'm going to give you the application at the beginning, because the application at the beginning, I think, will frame the context It'll help understand more of what's going on. So we're going to begin with the application. And here is the application of John 14, 8 through 14 for us today. And it is simply this. Don't be like Philip. That's the application. Don't be like Philip. Now, with that application stated, that's how you and I are going to apply the text today. I want to begin moving through this passage. Let's read it again. Philip said to him, to Jesus, "'Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us.' And Jesus said to him, "'Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does.'" we don't want to rush past his question. We need to keep it in context. Otherwise, we're likely to, to miss the thrust of these verses. He said, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. His question in and of itself seems like an admirable desire. Show us God. He is all we need. But to whom is he speaking at church? Cross life. May we not be so blind as Philip is in this moment. Track with me through this. We're going we're to journey together and see how his question was amiss. And I wonder how applicable it could actually be for us. See, I, I do think that Philip's question is admirable. And it, it speaks of a desire that should burn within every, Christ, every Christian. Hear that again. His desire should burn within every Christian. And I think that our own world is haunted by the same desire to see something much grander than themselves, but they are searching in the vastness of stars for a life that does not exist. They're searching in others for a connection that does not exist. They're searching in themselves for an energy that does not exist. Our pagan world is haunted by a desire to worship a God they cannot find. Yet here is Philip and he requests to see the Father so that it would be enough he was likely, the question's likely referring to what we would call a theophany. That's spelled T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y, a a theophany, which is a a physical appearance or or manifestation uh, of God to his people. So he was probably hoping to see an appearance or a manifestation of God the Father. We call that a theophany. And I wonder, church, if we are not so so far off from Philip. Stick with me. I'm thinking of, of Exodus 34, 4-8. through eight. Listen to this. So he, Moses, cut out two stone tablets like the former ones. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him. Can you imagine that church? The Lord descended in the cloud, stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses, verse 8 says, Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. I mean, cross life, would you not want to be in that moment to see that? God, can you imagine that? I'm wondering if Philip is thinking of Exodus 19, 16 through 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick black or and thick clouds on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. I mean, cross life. Would you not want to see that display of power and majesty? Is there not something that as we read that, it begins to push up through us and it begins to swell within us? Would we not want to see that? I'm thinking of Isaiah 6, one. i I'm wondering if this is not in, in Philip's question. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Believers, would that have been enough for you in that moment? I mean, as we read these passages and we realize that this is the mighty God revealing himself to his creation, don't you long to see that, God? I think that we should. Don't mishear me today. I think we should long for that manifestation of God to his people and that, that vastness, that majesty, that glory. It's in it's within us and we yearn for it. I'm not saying that we would be able to stand it. I'm not saying that we would not be Terrified and tremble before such a God like that. I'm not saying that we should not desire to see Him either. I think there should be something within the Christian that is attracted to those highly exalted manifestations of God. I mean, I'm thinking of the angel of the Lord who would appear. To Abram and Hagar and Joseph and the Israelites and Joshua. And I'm thinking, give me one more here, I promise there's a reason for this. I'm thinking of Exodus thirteen, twenty-one through twenty-two. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. I mean, what would that have been like? To look into the night sky and see a pillar of fire poised on its own, defying physics and leading you through the dark deserts. What would it, would it have felt like and been like to wake and see a self-suspended pillar of cloud that continue to move before you? Wouldn't you long to see that because you know that you're in the presence of God? So I think Philip is, is probably thinking of something like that when he says, show us the Father and it will be enough. Show us the majestic, glorious, mighty Father that you, Jesus, are always telling us about. Show us him. See, Moses had the same request of God. Moses said, please show me your glory in Exodus 33, 18. Please show me your glory. And here's the fullness of Philip's question. He was asking Jesus to see the glory of God the Father. Now look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me and does his works. Believe in me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. In other words, he's saying this, you have been with me all this time, Philip, and you still don't understand. To see me is to see the Father. How can you say, where is the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Believe me. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And if you can't believe that, at least believe what you see. These works, these miracles, at least believe because of them. Now, I don't tend to go to the message, uh, paraphrase whenever I'm preaching, um, but that was a great paraphrase it really captures the heart of the moment jesus is telling him philip you don't get it you want to see god the father you have me all the manifestations all the theophanies in the old testament find their fulfillment find their fullness in the expression of jesus church may we not be like philip philip's offense was this jesus was not enough In that moment, Jesus was not enough because while Philip's desire may be admirable, his perspective was wrong. He wanted to see the manifestation of God apart from Jesus. He wanted to see God the Father apart from Jesus. No doubt he believed in Jesus. No doubt he saw Jesus' power. No doubt he believed Jesus was anointed by God. No doubt he believed Jesus was God's son, but he was still missing it in that moment. Moses prayed in Exodus 33, please show me your glory. And if Philip were making the same request, Jesus is saying to him, I am. I am showing you the Father. I am showing you his glory. Christians, I'm afraid that this is where many of us may find ourselves. We see and believe in the proclamations of Jesus and the promises of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Jesus. But do we truly believe that in Him we see the Father? If we do not, if Jesus does not satisfy, if He does not satisfy that desire within us, then it is because we do not really see Jesus. He is too small for us. We've crafted possibly an idolatrous caricature of Jesus and made Him better than me and others, but not enough of God. The truth is that the glory and worthiness of Jesus causes all of heaven to bow down, all of creation and the myriads of angels to sing a new song, and all the elders to lay down their crowns. That's in Revelation 5. Show us the Father, Philip said, and that will be enough cross life. He was speaking to the one who is enough. Philip's sin was that for him he saw Jesus, but he did not grasp enough of who Jesus truly was, the full representation of God to man. Second Corinthians 4 4 makes you and I, church, aware of a danger in this world. It says, In their case, the case of those who are not believers, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, this verse speaks of unbelievers. I, I don't believe that speaks necessarily of Philip, but it does point us to a very real danger that you and I must be cognizant of. Satan can blind people from seeing the gospel of the glory of Christ. Do not think that he will not try to blind us as well, church. And so, if we don't want to be Philip, my prayer is that you are encouraged in the next few moments. I want us to consider Philip's question And that desire that swells within us when we read of those powerful depictions of God in the Old Testament. Those theophanies. And I want us to look directly at Jesus in this moment, church. The answer to Philip's request was standing right in front of him. You want to see the father, Philip? You want to see the powerful and perfect expression of God, church? Look upon Jesus. Here's what, and I'm going to read several verses back to back. Here is our Jesus, here is enough for us, I hope. Hebrews 1, 3 through 5 says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.17 says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John one fourteen says, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 8, 8 1 says, Now, the point in what we are saying is this we have such a high priest in Jesus. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And 2 Peter one seventeen says, For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And 2 Corinthians four six says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and revelation last one here revelation 19:11 through 16 here's your Jesus church revelation 19:11 through 16 then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse And the armies of heaven, arraigned in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And Colossians reminds us that all the fullness of God all the theophanies, all of the Old Testament depictions and portrayals and manifestations of God, all of the images that we have of God in all of his fullness, all of that, Colossians tells us, is pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. Cross life, believers, Christians, can I ask you, do you see the beauty of Christ? Do you see the glory of God in him? Philip, faithful Philip, even struggled to comprehend the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to create an emotional moment with us, but I am trying to raise our eyes to the critical assessment for ourselves. Is Jesus enough for you? Don't be Philip in the moment. Don't miss the glory of the Father in the presence of the Son. You and I, with the Spirit within us, are ever and always with the Son. We are always interceded for by the Son to the Father. I've titled this sermon, Is Jesus Enough? Because I believe that that is where Philip went wrong. For him, he did not see Jesus clearly enough to see that Jesus satisfied his own desires and that Jesus was more than what he sought. And now I ask you and I ask myself as we're reading these verses, Is Jesus really enough for us? I think that that's the thrust of those first few verses. When Philip says, show us the Father and it will be enough. And Jesus turns to him and says, have you not known me? If you really knew me, Philip, if you really saw me for who I am, you would know that the fullness of God is pleased to dwell within me. You can see the Father because you see me. Does that... Does the the weight of that right there, does that land on our hearts and does that begin to awaken us? Does it call out greater worship, greater praise? Does it demand more of our lives? I pray that whenever we get to these moments, that if we're sitting here in this moment and we say, I have not seen Jesus like that or I have seen him like that, but I have fallen away from it, then we want to repent. We pray that, God, you will give us new eyes, a new affection that sees you for who you truly are. You are the radiance of the glory of God to us. You are the word who took on flesh, and we have seen your glory. Glory is of the only God. So, Lord, awaken within us that vision. And help us to be captivated by that, by who you are in the Son. And Lord, help us to live lives accordingly. Now, I know I hit a prayer right there because I, I believe that that's just something that has to be born of God within us. It has to be renewed within us. But whenever we get to those moments, we want to repent. Repentance is a good thing. I want to move very quickly now. Very, very quickly, I have two more things to point out in light of Jesus clarifying to Philip that who he is. And, and he clarified this to all the disciples, that to know him is to know the Father. It is only after Jesus clarifies his perfect union with the Father that he says, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. It's John fourteen twelve church, when we believe Jesus truly is enough, those who truly believe in the genuine fullness of who he is will have a greater outreach and a greater extent of work than even Jesus did on earth. Because he tells us, he tells us that that's it. We're going to do greater works than these than what we've seen him do. Okay. But here's why, because he went to the father and in going to To the Father, He sent His Spirit by whose power the apostles would preach and see thousands converted. It's because in believing in Him and because He has gone to the Father and has therefore sent His Holy Spirit into us that we will do, quote, greater works than these. You and I have that same promise today cross life where Jesus served and displayed his glory in a local setting and sphere of influence, you and I, believers, are full of the Holy Spirit and we have been sent by Jesus as the Holy Spirit was and he empowers us to do ministry where we are in a greater scope. We have a greater expanse that we can reach. I love how one commentary puts it, though. Listen to this. This commentary says, Miracles are important. But some evangelists have done, quote, even greater things than these by preaching the good news to thousands of people. Because when the apostles preached, thousands were converted. There is power in the word, and the power awakens within men and women and children a need for a savior. And, in seeing the Saviour lifted up, when Christ is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself, and in drawing men and women and children to himself, he is glorifying the Father and These are great works that we do not want to miss that as we go and we share the Gospel of Christ, we are sharing the glory of God to the nations, and these are greater works than miracles see when we when we see the true value of Jesus cross life, we will be compelled to show others the glory of God and Jesus. It will push us beyond ourselves, but first we must see and savor Christ ourselves. The reason I believe that we live such timid Christian lives these days is because we have settled for a timid Christ. We have settled for ourselves on a cheaper, weaker version that costs little, demands less, and grows dusty. But the biblical Jesus is a bold Savior who demands your allegiance, who faced down the powers of darkness and led them in open shame, and who triumphed triumphed over them by defeating them on the cross, and he now sits in resplendent glory next to God the Father. That is the Jesus of the Bible, and that is whom you love, is that church whom you serve. I pray that God awakens within us, and then within me, just a a swelling awareness more and more of the beauty and the glory of Christ. He tells him one more thing. He also tells him that whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Church, this is not some magic incantation. They're not a magic three words so that you can tag on to the end of a prayer and get whatever you desire. What a sad distortion of a beautiful promise that is being preached in pulpits. I'm going to go so far as to say that that when we believe that Jesus truly is enough, that, that's the context of our passage, we won't pray in his name so selfishly. When we see him for who he truly is, it will change how we pray. 1 John 5.14, written by the same apostle, says, If we ask anything according to his will, according to his will, that's the phrase. If we ask anything according to his will, if we ask anything in his name, they're synonymous. We have what we have asked of him. So then, church, if we keep this in context of Philip's question, and Christ comforting the anxious disciples because he's about to depart from them and will leave this world we see that this is an assurance that he gives those who follow him because of his position with the Father. Because he is in the Father and the Father is in him, they and we today can have tremendous hope that he has the authority and the power to grant us the strength we need for the work we will do with our eyes set upon him. So, your eyes set upon the glorious one. What is it that you will confidently pray in his name so that his glory may be known? With your eyes set on him, the glorious one who is seated at the right hand of the Father and to whom all of creation owes its allegiance and praise. Christian, he has come for you. He has redeemed you. He has absorbed the wrath of God so that you may become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. And when you see him in his resplendent glory, what is it that you will confidently pray in his name so that his glory may be known? Philip. Poor Philip in, in this passage, just like poor doubting Thomas in post-resurrection. Right, but, but Philip, he was asking the right question, but he was looking in the wrong direction. Don't be Philip. As much as we may be drawn to those manifestations of God in the Old Testament, and I think that those are good, they are no longer present or needed in the New Testament Hear this, because the manifestation of Jesus is so much greater. I want to say that one more time. Those manifestations of God in the Old Testament are no longer present or needed in the New Testament because the manifestation of Jesus is so much greater. Lord, awaken our hearts to that truth. We may become blind, though, we may become disenchanted, we may become forgetful, and when we do, we forget what we have known, and we begin to search for something else as Philip did, for something more. So I want to put it to you in this as I close. Cross Life Fort Smith and whoever is listening to this sermon, Jesus Christ is supremely Excellent. And when we treasure Jesus as such, there will be a peace as we serve him and tell others of his glory. And when we pray for his glory to spread, he whom is supremely excellent, he who holds all things together, he who bore our sins and shame on the cross, when we pray for his glory to be known, he will grant it because that is according to his will. We do not need something else from God. We simply truly need to see Jesus. Don't be Philip. See him. Lord God, I thank you for your word. And I pray that you you guide us into understanding it more and more. That Jesus was not simply a man who walked this earth. Was not simply a prophet. Was not simply uh, a miracle worker. But he is and was the fullness of God in whom you were pleased to dwell, but Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God; He is much more than we are tempted to believe in, so Lord, I pray for those who who seek you that they see that you are found in and through your Son. so God thank you for your word, Lord, the seed has been scattered now, I pray that you grow it within us, myself included. Lord, help me to see Jesus in all of his glory and majesty and all of his fullness. And help me to lay my life down and follow him. Lord God, we love you and I thank you for your word. Amen.